Lolita, light of my life, fire of my loins, my sin, my soul, Lolita. The tip of the tongue taking a trip of three steps down the palate to tap at three on the teeth, Lolita. She was low, plain low in the morning, standing four feet ten in one sock. She was Lola in slacks. She was Dolly at school. She was Dolores on the dotted line. But in my arms, she was always Lolita. Did she have a precursor? She did, indeed she did. In point of fact, there might have been no Lolita at all had I not loved, one summer, an initial girl child in a Princeton by the sea. Oh, when? About as many years before Lolita was born as my age was that summer. Hello and welcome, I'm Douglas Bowles, and you're listening to 42 Minutes, a podcast about meaning from SyncBook Radio and distributed by thesyncbook.com. You can find us online at 42minutes.com, and you can reach us by sending a message to mail at 42minutes.com. You can also follow our tweets at Sync42 and at SyncBook. It's Tuesday, December 18th, 2018, and today we'll reconnect with author and teacher Jessica Graham to try and figure out what happened this past year. Graham, actor, sexuality, and intimacy coach, and award-winning filmmaker, has been teaching meditation since 2009 and is a contributing editor of the meditation blog Deconstructing Yourself, in which her popular series Mindful Sex appears. She co-founded Los Angeles Eastside Mindfulness Collective, dedicated to exploring secular, secular spirituality through mindful living and learning. In her most recent book, Good Sex, published last November 2017 by North Atlantic Books, Graham demonstrates that a deep spiritual life and an extraordinary sexual life are not mutually exclusive in her keenly personal and unflinching frank guide to finding mindfulness in sex without losing the fun and adventure. More information about her and her work can be found at her website, yourwildawakening.com. Good morning, Jessica. How have you been? Good morning. I've I've been well. What a year it has been. Um, it's been it feels like it's been maybe ten years since we last spoke. But also kind of the blink of an eye too. Yes, true. <laughs> but the last time we spoke, you were headed off to a month long meditation retreat. You know, basically a few days after we we chatted. How did that go? It went well. Um, the forest refuge uh, at IMS is incredibly beautiful. It turned out that it was the coldest winter in like 20 years or something. And there was one point where there were signs up that said, do not go outside for more than 10 minutes at a time. <laughs> That's how cold it was. So it was, uh, it was a very uh, authentic experience of being alone in the woods in the winter. Um, there were, of course, other people there, but it was silent and it was self-led. So um, it was uh, it was much needed. Um, and I don't feel like I need to do that again for a while. <laughs> Well, that was, I think, if I remember correctly, you've done two weeks or so, but this was the longest you've done a silent meditation retreat. So that's correct. Yeah. Did was that? Did were you able to uh, register that in any way, or did it feel uh, just you know longer than what you were used to? Well, there was definitely a point when I hit about ten days and felt like, oh, this is coming to an end, and then I was like, no, it's it's not even close. That um, I. I felt a combination of horror and joy. <laughs> um, it was definitely, I definitely felt the time. Um, the thing that happened for me with this retreat was that I got to get really in touch with some health issues that I was having. And uh, I had 
built my life in such a way that I didn't have to fully take it in. Now, I was very mindful of the fact that my body didn't feel good a lot of the time, but I sort of kept moving and doing the things that I love doing, which helped me to somewhat avoid that experience. And so while I was on retreat, I got really up close and personal with what was going on health-wise. And actually this whole year for me has been a lot about attending to my body and taking care of my health and really, really slowing down. Um, So it was an incredibly fruitful retreat in that way because it was a long time coming that I needed to um, really slow down with my body to that level. Hmm. Well, it's interesting because... It's almost as if so. When we we were talking, you you said you don't like to fill your head with news, but you do like to kind of pay attention to what's going on. And so, you, you're. Uh, but part of the nature of our cycle right now is this this ever constantly ticker of headlines. Mm-hmm. And so it feels like if you do participate in, you know, our civil life at this point in time, it almost makes you crazy because. There's, there's breaking news every single day. So, so how did you reconcile that with your need to slow down and be more in, in touch with you know, the rhythms of your body? Mm. Well, I try my best to be very intentional about um, how much I engage, the same as I said before. Um, at the same time, I have started to think more and more about my work as activism, sexual activism. I've met a lot of people who are very involved in mindfulness community, who've been practicing for many years, who have multiple books. And I found that the whole sexuality piece, even with people who I thought, well, certainly they will have explored this aspect of humanity, um, haven't. And there's this big gap there. And I found myself in so many interesting situations with people where I was this very strange creature in an environment where I felt like I wouldn't be. (laughs) Um, And so I started realizing, oh, you know, this is kind of, it's sort of radical talking about this stuff in this context, talking about it at all, but talking about it in the spiritual context. And so I started to realize that what I was doing was more than just talking about sex and mindfulness um, or even sex and spiritual awakening because, you know, waking up, well, then what? Do, are you just going to sit on a bench, which that's fine if that's what you want to do, or are you going to take that perspective and that way of um, that paradigm, that way of experiencing reality and bring it into actually improving reality for others? And so I have gotten a, a little more invested in um, reading some of the, the stories, some of the headlines, just so that I can be more informed. Um, and it is overwhelming, I know, for many people because it's hard to stop. And I guess for me, I think of it um, like work and I only want to do it for so long. So it's not that hard to stop. Uh, I don't feel like I need to read the next the next headline. I every second it comes in. Hmm. Well, so I'm curious about your take on like the spate, the state of spirituality in 2018. I, I personally felt like there was a lot of interesting books that I read, but that feels more intellectual than what you're talking about, where you're, you're trying to uh, be an activist of an embodied situation. Yeah, embodied, but also um, open and honest and human. 
I think we've seen so many, um, so many spiritual leaders um, end up being accused or um, being accused of sexual misconduct or that misconduct being proven. And there's a reason for that. And it's because it doesn't get talked about. And so um, I think that the the idea of spirituality needing to be the separate thing from sex just really, really needs to change. So it's not just embodiment because I think there, you know, there's tantric practitioners and there's orgasmic meditation and there's, there's definitely ways that people are talking about embodied sexuality in the spiritual context. But what about, what about consent? What about consent? What about consent being sexy? right? Like, what about that? That's a conversation that I'm really interested in. And I think we can talk about consent in spiritual community to a certain extent, but when you start to get into pleasure and turn on and, you know, all of that, it gets, it can get a little bit murky. And I think we need to be talking about it in all ways, not just, you know, in these compartmentalized ways. One of the really interesting moments of 2018 for me was this uh, the Kavanaugh hearing because, and the reason why it was interesting had more of a synchronicity to do with the fact that, um, there was this strange echo to 1991 with Anita Hill and Clarence Thomas. And, you know, it's, it is directly with this idea of consent and, um, uh, in in 1991, you know, I would, I would have been nine, 19. And so that would have been, like if I was getting in trouble or unconscious or behaving in a way that would get me me tooed, like that would have been the time for that. And so it definitely made me, this year it made me think back about my own behaviors. But the interesting thing is how looking back now from where we are and the, even going back to the conversation that we had a year ago, I really feel like the culture has shifted and that like some things like even watching films from the 80s and 90s all of a sudden like there is an unsavoriness that we can't even go there because do, do you understand what i'm saying or do you sense this too absolutely i mean i'm a filmmaker so i watch a lot of film and we'll watch old stuff and you know random films that you know we haven't seen you know since the early 90s or something like that and it's sort of shocking the experience of watching it now how how dated it is when it comes to where our culture is today um you know it's interesting i've been working with a lot of young men lately a lot of my private clients are are young men and it's uh that's become i've become very passionate about that because in this cultural shift that we're going through what I've experienced through my clients is that um, in certain ways, men are not being brought along in this cultural shift. And it feels really important that if we're going to you know, change our world for the better, that we go all the way, that we really make it inclusive. And it's so interesting to me that like I'm becoming this sort of champion for young men and young men's sexualities. Um, because, you know, people would assume like, Oh, you would teach, you know, you would teach women because you're a a woman and I do, but I have been working with a lot of men. And I think in this, in the midst of this cultural shift, it's really, really important. Um, so that's become, that's become a very big passion of mine is helping young men navigate their sexuality, navigate consent, navigate pleasure. You know, we hear, hear a lot like in the sort of sacred sexuality world and, 
you know, uh, women empowerment sort of sexuality world that, you know, women's pleasure, women's pleasure. Absolutely. It's high time we put emphasis there. But there's also needs to be emphasis on, you know, every gender's pleasure. So um, that's been something that I've been really thinking about and looking at a lot lately. Hmm. Did you pay attention to uh, Christine Blasey Ford's testimony? I did. Yeah. Um, it was a, such a heartbreaking experience, that whole thing. And um, definitely showed us kind of where we are, which yes, there's been a shift, but that shift is certainly not complete. Yeah. And it, it was, it was, you know, it was reminiscent to, you know, Trump getting elected, you know, as a, as a woman, you know, just walking around in the world, there's something, um, you know, really very heartbreaking, devastating, scary about the fact that someone who, just being, you know, just being accused of these things, like, how is that person on our Supreme Court? The fact that, you know, and it feels, it feels really obvious that she's telling the truth to me. Um, that's me. Now, I know lots of people who don't feel that way, but that's my experience in watching the testimony and seeing him versus her in, in, in hearing, you know, interviews with other people. And the fact that that person can, make decisions that deeply impact my life is and the, the lives of everyone in this country is pretty scary. Yeah. I mean, so the, it was interesting because it seems like uh, Trump has really brought to the surface a division that um, I guess pro progressive minded folks wouldn't realize was necessarily there or wasn't as there as we we were aware but mm -hmm. it seems like <laughs> the the opposing you know the people that were proponents of Kavanaugh definitely wanted to at least give lip service to the ideas of you know um it, it the idea of believing her you know it so like we we're going to to go through the motion it well it, you know present we're going to be open and minded enough to participate, but not actually like that. There wasn't a closed mindedness. Like we have a job to do. We, we need to get this guy. This is what we want. You know? So it's just, we have a long way to go. Is what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, and here's the thing. Um, I want us to have a culture of sexual well being. you know, not a, not a culture of sexual fear. Um, and so I think, as important as it is to peel back the the curtain on all of this, it's also important to recognize that Kavanaugh most likely did not have any sort of comprehensive sexual education. Most likely did not learn about sex in um, in grounded positive ways. Most likely did not have anybody talking to him about substance abuse and sexuality. Most likely did not have anybody teaching him about female pleasure. You know, and this is because it's not being taught. It's not being taught in schools. It's not being, you know, many parents are not teaching their kids these things. It's, you know, you go out there, figure it out for yourself, kid. Um, and th that doesn't work. <laughs> it doesn't work. And there's so many, like, we don't even need to just look at like extreme cases like this, just all the people who are totally unhappy in their sexual lives um, because we don't talk about it. And so as sort of upset and angry 
as I can feel about that situation with him, I also see a kid who did not get educated. And um, Kimberly Ann Johnson, she's the author of uh, The Fourth Trimester, she put out a beautiful post during that time, just the apology he should have given, which basically just said, you know, I, I drank too much at that time. I don't remember things that I did. I didn't learn about sex. I'm so sorry for anything that I may have done. You know, but it acknowledged that he didn't, <laughs> he probably didn't get education, which leads, which leads to all kinds of things. And I think that it, it's, you know, there's probably lots of people who have been involved in non-consensual acts, even acts of rape who aren't like horrible, evil people. They're co just completely not informed, not educated, and probably, you know, traumatized themselves in certain ways. Well, right. And so he becomes a stand in for the culture at large where, you know, he was, was it that unusual, you know? So it's, it's interesting because we've come from a place where, where a young girl, if she drinks too much, then it's her fault. She made a mistake, you know? Mm -hmm. And now we've arrived at a place where no, actually everyone's actions do matter. It doesn't matter. You, you know, there aren't, there aren't these rules where you can take advantage of a young girl if she happens to be too inebriated to, to, you know, give consent like that. Yeah. I, yeah, I remembered, um, during that time, I remembered, Oh wow. We had this friend when I was a teenager who you, you couldn't fall asleep around. You couldn't pass out around him and everybody, we all knew, you know, we all, all the, the girls knew don't get drunk and pass out around him because you'll wake up and he'll be doing things to you. And in the context of like what our culture says today, like that is horrific. If someone said that to me, I'd be like, well, wait a second. But at that time it was just normal. It's just the way that it was. Yeah. Okay. So, um, which leads me to Lolita. And so this, uh, this program does a book club and um, we were interested in Nabokov's Ada because of its uh, relationship to, you know, different thoughts about time. But that just kind of opens this can of worms about Nabokov and why everyone was so taken with this story of Lolita. I mean, so I think through my exploration, he definitely had like a, a romance when he was 14 with a 12 year old that just really he could never get out of his system that he just relived all his whole career. And he, he rewrote the story over and over again, but it's just, it's strange to me because you mentioned in, when I t talked to spoke with you about how, uh, uh, I think there was the Kevin Spacey story and, and maybe it was Anthony Rapp. And so I had always loved you since you were 12, but you were too young then. And mm -hmm. yeah. And so I, I just, it, what do you think it was? I mean, I don't understand why the culture was so taken with Lolita and, and it's, it's really strange to be looking at a piece of literature that was a classic that I don't know if people, it, it's almost like taboo now because it's so unsavory. Hmm. Well, it's a beautiful piece of literature. <laughs> it's be it's beautifully written. Um, I think you know that to me that's still true. Doesn't doesn't mean that I can get on board with the uh, ideas, but um, it is a beautiful book. I think. Um, I wonder if part of it is about um, maybe part of it is about 
pulling back a veil. Now, um, if, <laughs> if he was willing to go there and to say that, to, to tell that story, then maybe the fact that I like my wife to tie me up and put something in my butt isn't so bad. You know, maybe it made people feel less, um, freaked out about themselves and their own proclivities. Mm. Um, that's kind of just off the top of my head. Um, I think, I think we also like we, as humans, we like things that are, that are wrong. You know, we like things that are taboo. We like things that make us feel a little bit, a little bit guilty. Um, and I, I don't, I don't know all the psychological reasons for that, but I think that's, yeah, it's, it's fairly common. It's fairly common with people's, you know, lots of people have, um, I mean, so, so, so many women have rape fantasies. That doesn't mean they want to be raped by any means or that they should be, but that is a very common fantasy with women. Um, and I'm sure that for men, for some men, there is a fantasy of a much, much younger woman. And so to be able to, uh, I don't know, to be able to read it in a book like that, maybe it, uh, Maybe it partially made people feel not so bad about themselves and partially turned them on. Are you, do you, are you familiar with David Lynch's work? I wonder, uh, mm -hmm. how, how do you, I'm, I'm, I think my own opinion of him is kind of changing that there's, there's an inherent creepiness to everything he does, but it's becoming, I'm wondering if he isn't, I know he's not a creep because he's he's such a spiritually minded individual, but you know I just wonder about the art that he makes. Like I mean, on par with what you're saying too, because mm -hmm. sometimes we need to be challenged by like creepiness. Mm. Well, so I don't you know I don't know him. I don't know if he's really a creep, but I will say that just because someone's spiritually minded doesn't mean they're not a creep. <laughs> you know, I mean, like we said, we can see a lot of examples of that of these enlightened mass masters who are you know, raping their students. And so it's like, or, you know, being creepy anyway. Um, and so I don't know. Um, I don't know him, so I'm not sure. Um, I am a fan personally in my creative work of dark, sexual, creepy stuff. <laughs> so I'm a funny person to ask this question because I love it. I love it. I love exploring the shadow of humanity. I love it. I love playing I, as an actor. I love playing villains. I love playing evil people. Um, as a, as a, when I write, um, fiction, um, which I just do as a hobby, but you know, eventually might turn into a screenplay or something like that. I write pretty dark, creepy stories. And part of that is because I had a, you know, a dark, creepy past, <laughs> you know, I had before I, before I started meditating, before I, you know, made some major changes in my life, you know, I come from a lot of trauma. And so this is a way in which it's a, a catharsis. It's something that like, it's, it's a color that I have to offer. And, um, I have gotten a lot more clear about what kind of messages I want to put in the world as a filmmaker. And so there are certain projects that I wouldn't do. Like I wouldn't just, I, I would, wouldn't just do a torture porn. You know, like I have no interest in doing like saw or something like that. I don't, I don't personally know what that adds to the world. I don't know where the art is in that. I understand other people feel differently. That's just me. But with someone like David Lynch, I see a lot of art in that. I see a lot of value in that. I see, um, I, I think it, it peels back layers and makes people look at parts of themselves, which I think great art should do. 
So your book has been out for a year, and uh, you know what was what was that year like um, with with that book out in the world? Yeah, um, it's been sort of a settle. It's it's been sort of a settling into to what I want to do with my work, and um, I have started talking a lot more about sexual activism and and I'm in some ways that's evolving and that's becoming what it wants to be and it's it's been really cool to start to see people uh pop up into my life who are thinking these same thoughts and it's really interesting because you know they they're like I can't find anyone else to talk to about this stuff about sex in this way and so that's been really cool since the book came out to start to have these people find me and me find these people and, can, you know, just connecting with these, you know, like-minded individuals has been very, very cool. Um, I, I think there's been uh, kind of a, I don't know. I, I feel like I've, I, mindful sex has just really become the bare minimum for me. Like I'm happy to teach it and I'm happy to talk about it and, you know, write articles about it, but just being, you know, being there, being in your body and being with the person you're having sex with seems like that's just the bare minimum. <laughs> and so I've been like, well, what, what comes after that? <laughs> What's next? And consent is just the bare minimum and safe sex is just the bare minimum. So what comes after that? So in some ways, you know, I, I have felt like I had to kind of, I have to kind of keep repeating my greatest hits, <laughs> which I get as part of being a teacher and part of having a book and all of that. But I'm like, well, what else? Like, I want to, I want to get I want to get past that point. I want to get to the point where it's it's just normal to look into your partner's eyes or to ask for what you want. And then what comes next? But also, also sex positivity, like true sex positivity. And I think, you know, again, as grateful as I am and as much as I've personally gotten out of all of the cultural shifts that are going on, I also feel like there's been a lot of negative, like a lot of negativity that's not necessary. Um, and I'm really interested in continuing to, uh, promote joy and connection in sex and not this sense of separation of, of, uh, you know, I've, I've just seen a lot of, you know, all men are bad, you know, just these comments on Facebook, these posts that are like, I hate men, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yeah, I get it. There are definitely, um, there are definitely some awful people out there, but I don't think that gets us where we want to go any more than I think saying I hate Trump gets us where we want to go, actually. Like, I think that is the, it's, you know, it doesn't actually work. But so I now that you were speaking a little bit, I seem to remember maybe it was in the Atlantic or someplace out there, but there was a an article about the idea of a sexual recession in the millennial generation. Does that... Yes, it was. It, it was the Atlantic. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I didn't read it, but you know, what is that? Did you? Uh, what is? <laughs> in terms of what you do, you know, what what do you make of that? Well, I think I think there's a number of reasons. I think I was just actually talking about this the other night with a friend. I think part of it is that kids don't spend as much time with each other anymore because of online life. You know, we're already kind of living in a in a world or in a reality where we have avatars. It's kind of already gotten to that because so much uh, so much of relationship happens online. So much of relationship happens through um, 
a filter, <laughs> you know, through a, through another filter more than we already had. And um, I think that's part of it. And I'm not saying that's necessarily bad. I'm not sure, but it's. Uh, I think that's part of it. I also think that given the nature of what's going on culturally, sex is not necessarily a fun, positive thing right now. There's, which is also not bad. It's really good that we're seeing the shadow. We're seeing the, the darkness here. We're seeing what needs to change. But I think that when you're inundated every day with this frat guy that's getting off on rape charges and, and, you know, this, this CEO that did this, and it's just this constant, like you're constantly hearing it. Sex starts to, um, feel a little bit scary, I think for folks. And so I think that's part of it too. And again, none of this is, I'm not saying this is wrong or bad. It's just, I think interesting. And I think it's also why we need to be pumping in positivity as well. Yeah, I wonder how, I mean, what, like, sex-positive art will look like in the future. Mm, it's a beautiful question. I'll tell you that um, I, since we spoke last, I've gotten um, a lot more into my modeling work. Um, I'm a nude model, and I was kind of in the closet about it for many years because it was like, well, it doesn't really go along with meditation teacher. It doesn't really go along with doing this work with people. And then I realized I was like, you know what goes along with with me is working with people who are interested in in working with me, me as this full human with a full expression. And so I've started um, combining teachings with censored photos of me, nude photos that I've done with various photographers I work with. And it's been really interesting. It's been a really interesting experience of like, you know, taking this sort of possibility of objectification and just really flipping it and say, and really using those photos to, um, express my authentic sexuality and creativity. And then adding in my sort of pitches for, um, awakened sexuality and for spiritual activism and for, um, self-love. So that's the way I've been playing around with art and sex positivity since we last spoke. What about your meditation practice? Has it changed at all this this year, or it has? Um, it has. Ch it's it's changed recently. Recently, um, and part of this is that I was on a sort of a several year exploration with Western medicine and pharmaceuticals, and it's interesting when I finally, when I got off of all of that, because I was just like, this is not working. This is not really helping. This is just a bandaid that's barely even doing its job well, coming off of everything. I have embraced my practice and my practice has embraced me in a way that I haven't experienced since very early on. <laughs> and it's really nice. You know, it's, this, it's this really lovely feeling of just getting so much out of every sit and, um, and really, really wanting to meditate <laughs> because, you know, I really wanted to, when I first started, I found it very fun. And then it just became this thing I had to do. Um, you know, not that I never enjoyed it, not that it, there was never anything great and, in, and interesting, but it was sort of like, you know, this is just the thing you do each day. And so coming out of this period of being pretty sick and being on a lot of medication, it's been, um, really nice to return to my practice. And it feels in a way, it just, it feels like, a like fresh and new in a way that I hadn't experienced in a while. 
Well, so it's it's interesting in thinking back. You know, it doesn't feel like that much time has gone by. Like I said, but it's definitely been a year, and I probably have meditated. You know, like three times. And so I, <laughs> and and now I'm thinking, boy, what that? That's really a shame. I wonder. So I know at at New Year's, uh, everyone decides they're going to be healthy, and so they all start juicing wheatgrass and you know <laughs> eating kale. Do your do your classes, your meditation classes, swell in ranks? You know, after January first. Yeah, they tend to be pretty full the first couple months of the year. It's it's, it's always it's they always slow down at the very end of the year and then pick up in a big way at the at the beginning of the year. I'm I'm starting off the the new year with a day long meditation retreat on self love, which I'm which I'm doing that first Saturday of January because I know that there's going to be people who are really want who are really looking for that, who are needing that time to kind of either jump back into their practice or start it up. So yes, that's definitely the case. Yeah, the the idea, the word is practice, and it's <laughs> <laughs> you kind of need a practice to have a practice. Yeah, yeah, and you know, there's so many different ways to practice. You know, you don't have to sit on a cushion, but there is something to be said for sitting down and being still with yourself. And you don't have to even do it for that long. You know, ten, fifteen minutes. It's like really makes a difference. And, and, and we, I don't know, I think oftentimes it's like, well, how can that really make a difference? You know, it's not that much time, but just the act of getting through our own discomfort (laughs) of being with ourselves, of sitting still, just that is a huge thing actually, because there's so many times in life when we need to be able to be uncomfortable in order to learn what we're learning or in order to heal what we're healing. And that practice of sitting down and meditating once a day helps to strengthen that ability for the rest of life as well. Yeah, I I always, education is kind of built on that where you can sit down and read a book anytime, but uh, like agreeing to like show up and be present at this time every day for a period of time kind of there's there's some kind of built-in thing with with that contract that you do you know it is a practice for a period of time and you do learn because of that Mm -hmm, absolutely what about your writing life the past year (laughs) <laughs> well, well, I've probably written three times. You've meditated three times. Um, yeah, you know, I, I just about three days ago felt a genuine desire to write. I, I have written very little. Now, I have lots of ideas, lots of things I want to write, but I haven't sat down and practiced. Um, and I think it was just like building up, building up to getting the book out, get the book out, get the book out. And then I was just like, I'm done. <laughs> um, but I finally am feeling a genuine desire to sit down and write. And I'm pretty sure that my next big writing project will be around chronic health, uh, chronic, uh, chronic illness, chronic pain, spiritual practice and, um, trauma, and then probably some sexuality stuff in there too, because I wasn't really ready to write about my health until now. And so I think that's part of it because I write in such an autobiographical way. Um, I needed to be ready. It was what I wanted to write about, but I wasn't ready to write about it. And so now I am. So that looks like it's going to at least be my next sort of series of articles, but potentially my next book as well. I think maybe it was towards the end of our talk. We were, I was, 
at that point in time, Trump was still newish. You know, I think maybe we'd had a year of him, but mm-hmm. it, it still it felt like a novelty that he was. And so I think I mentioned that to me, you know, he feels so egoic that it was almost like this that we were trying to perform a mass, you know, ego death, that there was this ritual, potential ritual that we were. And so to me, I, the fact that he's still here is, is kind of shocking to me that it just is, it's amazing to me that, you know, two years in, you know, it, it just continues to get worse and worse. What do you make of, of Trump and our moment? Oh, <laughs> well, I mean, I I feel like uh, so when something goes really poorly in my life, when I'm having a really tough time, I've trained myself um, through experience, really just through seeing it happen, to see it as an opportunity and as a gift. You know, so a number of years back, I was, I was rolled out of a meditation retreat and into the hospital. And I remember being like, what cool thing is going to happen? Um, and that was just immediately where my brain went. And so as dark and scary as it might be, that's sort of where my brain goes with this too. It's like, well, there's, there's some real huge gift in what we're going through right now. And maybe it's that we get some like amazing, uh, next president. Um, or I don't know, I I don't know. I don't know, but I do think that the leaning into it as this is horrible and everything's gone to hell and, you know, we're, there's no hope. I don't really relate to that way of thinking about it. Um, I think that just like we talked about last year, this is a needed reveal. Yeah. Now, there's something to be said for complacency, <laughs> you know, and for, you know, oh, it's not going to get that bad. It's not going to get that bad. I'm sure it'll be fine. I'm sure it'll be fine. If you watch any dystopian films, like that's how it goes, right? Like it's like, and then suddenly, you know, the 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 whole world is, is being run by the robots or whatever it is. But um, I think we need to be aware and we need to be continuing to move towards positive change, but not getting mired in how bad it is. I don't think that really, I don't think like the saying, if you're not angry, you're not paying attention. I don't really like it that much. I don't like that saying that much. I think you can be paying attention and you can be very involved and engaged and moving towards positive change and not be spending every day feeling angry. Now it's easy for me to say as a cisgendered white person, you know, but I do feel that, um, resentment and anger, um, and hatred and all of that just breeds more of what we have already had. So hopefulness 2019, um, uh, your, your head's already there. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, I don't use the word hope a lot often. I think, I think because Pema Chodron says destroy all hope and I, I just love her so much. Um, I'm, I would, I would say lots of curiosity. What's going to happen? <laughs> what is going to happen next? And can I stay awake and present to whatever it is, including devastation, including heartbreak, you know, including anything else? Yeah, that's great. What What about looking back on uh, 2018 in art? Anything that you particularly loved, music, 
movies, books, or whatever? Hmm. See, normally I would I would have so many answers for you, and but this year it's almost like I've been in hibernation. But I will tell you, I loved the film Annihilation. Oh, interesting. I, yeah. Yeah, I saw it. I think twice in the theater and at least once more when it when it was streaming. Um, dark, creepy, <laughs> um, weird. Um, I watched it and I felt at home, which you know gives you a little insight into me. I was talking with my partner after one of the times I'd watched it and he said, you know, most people don't watch that film and think there's it's a happy ending. And I was like, I know, but it's such a happy ending. And uh, so that was, I would say that was sort of my one of my favorites this year. Um, also for me personally, you know, I finished, uh, we've, we've finished a few projects this year, a few film projects that are going to start being out in the world in 2019. So that's, there's, there was a lot of focus on finishing our own stuff as well. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think, and I really like, it's been such an interesting, I think that's why it feels like so long to me since we spoke last, because this year has been a, a long a long road for me, um, which, you know, it is really nice to be on the other side of. <laughs> Are you able to talk at all about some of the acting uh, things that we might be able to see in the future? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my partner and I have a film that we've, that we've basically more or less just finished. It's called The Tangle, and it is a lyrical sci-fi and it's set in a world where uh, this it's post singularity. So the internet is in your blood. It's in little nanobots that are everywhere. So everyone knows everything about everyone and a murder takes place, which should be impossible. And so uh, I'm part of a group of an agency who uh, oversees technology and has to solve this murder. And it's a, it's a low budget, high concept, um, very sort of a heightened language with a noir kind of uh, flavor. Um, I'm super excited about it. So we're hoping to premiere at a festival um, this spring or late winter. And uh, so that's coming out. And then I made a short film about domestic violence and it's, uh, it's hard to watch and I'm, I'll be glad when it's done completely and I don't need to watch it again. But uh I'm, I think that it makes a pretty powerful impact. And so uh, that's, a, that's a project that was written and produced by uh, Clark D. Schaefer, and he invited me on to direct. So that was my directorial debut, actually. So that'll be, that'll be coming out. And then acting-wise, um, uh, I have a, a play that I'm in right now. I just got cast in a play and uh, super excited about that, a, a production of No Exit, an immersive um, very non-traditional version, which is going to be going up in LA in, in late January. So I'm very much looking forward to that. Well, that was 42 Minutes. Thank you so much for sharing it with us. Thank you for having me. You bet. You've been listening to Jessica Graham on 42 Minutes, a production of SyncBook Radio and SyncBook.com. Check out her work at her website, yourwildawakening.com. For more information about The Sync Book, our guests check out past shows or subscribe to the podcast via iTunes. Please be sure and visit our website at thesyncbook.com. If you like this podcast, check out others. It's currently all The Sync Book radio archives are free. We also feature a great search engine to help you find what you need. All this and more can be found at thesyncbook.com. If compelled, click on the support link at the bottom of the homepage. Thanks so much. And the rest is rust and stardust.
nervous, aren't you, boy? With your quiet voice and impeccable style. Don't ever let them steal your joy and your gentle ways to keep them from running wild. They can kick dirt in your face, dress you down, and tell you that your place is in the middle. When they hate the way you shine, I see you tugging on your shirt, trying to hide inside of it and hide how much it hurts. Let 'em.